Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can sing of your goodness to us, your being with us, and that your word is a light unto our paths. And so, Father, as we come to look at your word now, we pray that you would help us to see what Jesus is saying to us tonight. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as you will have heard from the notices, um, we are expecting a big event next weekend, next Sunday evening. And uh, we've been waiting for this event for some time. So, uh, if you're a member, a regular member of our church, I wanted to ask you three questions before we actually got into the, uh, the sermon as such tonight. I wondered... What do you hope for with the new beginning or the new rector coming? What do you hope for? Then I wondered, what do you expect? What do you expect from the new regime, the new season that we're moving into? What do you expect? And then thirdly, I wondered, well, what can we do to enable what we hope for to actually take place? What can we do? Well, that's just the introduction, so I hope... I was going to get you to answer, but I think maybe that would be a bit embarrassing, so we won't. So... The key verse for tonight, in tonight's passage, is verse 9, when Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We're, in, we're on page uh, 105, Mark 4, and you might like to uh, keep that passage open as we go through it. Because we're nearly here, aren't we? The time that we have been waiting for, if we're members of Holy Trinity, it's 18 months, I think, since Alan, our last rector, uh, left us, and Richard's going to be installed next Sunday evening. Well, I trust that we're all looking forward to this, looking forward to a new season of God leading us here at Holy Trinity. Of course, none of us knows what the future will hold, whether that be the immediate future of even this week ahead of us, or, you know, the weeks ahead, the months ahead, or even the years ahead. We don't know what's involved. But I do know that Richard and all of us who call this our our spiritual home, we will need to hear God's leading over the next period of time. And uh, we will not only need to hear it, we will need to be obedient to his instruction. And uh, listening, of course, has become in our society almost a lost art. From the earliest times, if you think about it, people used to sit around a campfire to hear a rousing story, a venture or a fable, To the days of riveting 
radio dramas where people sat in their homes around the radio and they heard the words and they uh, created the pictures that their ears took in from the words. So in their minds, they created the pictures. Well, of course, the invention of film and television changed all of that. We're a visual generation, aren't we, whose listening skills have somewhat atrophied and sort of wasted away. Maybe this is why uh, we hear so much that uh, families can't communicate. People talk a lot, but seldom listen. And so I think the ability to really listen is as vital today as it ever was. Because if we don't listen, how are we going to hear not only each other, but the voice of God? How are we going to hear if we don't listen? Well, Jesus had something crucial to say about hearing the word of God. We read of this in Mark 4, usually called the parable of the sower. But really, this passage is all about different types of soil. Because the seed is the word of God. And the sower is anyone who sows or disseminates that word, whether that be in Paris, whether that be in London, whether that be here in Norwich or any other part of the world. But the point of the story is that the sower, sowing the same seed, obtains different results from different soils. Because whenever God's word is communicated, the results depends upon the fertility of the hearer's heart and mind. Now we know, don't we, of course, that parables, stories if you like, were a method of teaching that was common with religious people and travelling teachers of Jesus' time in that part of the world. It was a type of instruction designed to sift the wheat from the chaff amongst the hearers. To test not their intelligence of the hearer, but rather their spiritual responsiveness. It led to what they've called a spiritual arithmetical progression. To him who has, more will be given, Jesus says in Matthew 25. And so the insight into the meaning of one parable will lead to the spiritual perception of the meaning of other such parables. Likewise, the failure to apprehend the meaning of one will lead to further misunderstanding of others. We either see or we don't see. And if we see, it's proof that uh, we have received the illumination that the Holy Spirit who alone can open our spiritual eyes. As one commentator says, one aim of using this method of teaching of parables is to encourage serious, persistent, perceptive faith. And so let us understand the basic principle that parables were spoken by Jesus to test ourselves rather than judging others. And we shouldn't try and find a spiritual meaning to every little detail, but rather look for the general message portrayed by that story. 
And so, the questions that this parable in front of us tonight poses for us is, how do we respond to God's word as spoken by Jesus? Why is it that people respond to God's word in different ways? Why do so few believe in our world, in our society today? Well, let's put this passage into a little bit of context before we get down to the individual verses. In Mark's Gospel, chapters 1 to 3, we have seen that Jesus has been in the area of Galilee. He has been calling his disciples. He's been delivering people from evil spirits. He's been cleansing and healing people from diseases. And he's proclaiming that he is Lord even of the Jewish traditions and, law, and laws. He has even claimed that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And if you can imagine what it must have been like for these people, he had been an exciting event for the crowds to watch. If it had been today, the news crews would have been out there with their television cameras and their microphones. Because he's been proclaiming through his teaching and and his actions, what the kingdom of God is like here and now on earth. And yet, despite all of that, many people, including the religious leaders of the Jewish nation who should have known better, they refuse to believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that the kingdom of God is found here on earth. And so Jesus teaches the crowds and the disciples by telling them parables. Look what it says in verse 2 of our passage. He taught them, that is Jesus, many things. But the Apostle Mark chooses us to give us this parable concerning what it's like to be a part of this kingdom, to be a person who responds to God's word and how the response to God's word will vary. But note what Jesus says about the human heart. Because he says not all the soil is the same. Some is rich and fertile and deep. Some is shallow. Some contains rocks and stones, thorns and weeds. So the condition of the receptivity of the soul, mind and heart is not an even playing field. However, all have the same exposure to the seed, the sun and the rain, which aids growth. And that's the message concerning the hearts of mankind. Not all people will respond to God's message in the same way. So the results of their lives will be very different. Jesus states that God's word is received in four ways. If I can have... The PowerPoint slide, please. The receptivity of our hearts and minds. He says four ways that it will be received. Some don't receive it at all. Satan takes it away. Some receive it with joy, but the plant only lives a short time because it was scorched and had no roots to take in water. It's on stony ground. Some receive it and grow, but troubles come and they have no roots. They are choked by worry, wealth, and desires that lead them away from discipleship. And finally and fourthly, some hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. 
They produce the fruit of what God has for them. And so the question for us tonight, of course, is which one are we? Which one are we? I believe that uh, we can apply Jesus' teaching here in two ways. The first way is these truths given by Jesus can be seen in the way we have outreach to others who don't know Jesus and what happens as we try to spread the love of Jesus to others. And secondly, we can see it as how the message applies to our own discipleship and our own relationship with God. So those are the two things that we're going to look at tonight. So first, the first application. What about our witness to the outside world? When we wrote the profile of this church for the advert for the new rector, one of the things we put into it was that we were seeking to spread the love of Jesus into Norwich. But in this passage, we see the reality of that work. We see the reality of the devil. Look at verse 15. Jesus says that as soon as some people hear God's word, Satan comes and takes it away. The reality in the presence of the evil one is very evident to Jesus. And so it should be to us today. Satan, who is capable of removing the seed from all our hearts and minds. Now, of course, we know that some and many people in our age and society, and including some in the church, would want to deny the very presence of the evil one. Well, beware that approach. Because the devil is actually being and works in the world today through spiritual forces and cultural activity. So to understand why some folk won't respond to the gift of salvation, we need to acknowledge the presence and power of the evil one, though we must also temper that by remembering that Jesus defeated his power on the cross. And so if we're trying to share the gospel with friends, colleagues and family, let us recognize that we are in a spiritual war. We battle against principalities and powers, writes Paul. And the battle can only be fought through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer and applying God's word to the situation. So let us be forewarned then. This is what we're up against. And prayer and the Holy Spirit is needed for victory as we seek to spread the message of Jesus and his kingdom to our friends and family and the people that we live with. And this, of course, is why as we study and read about the history revivals throughout our countries, though they're all different, they have this common denominator of prayer and Christian unity. The meeting of Jesus' followers united together in prayer and fasting for long periods of time because the fight is against the evil one. And of course we know, don't we, that Norwich is a hard battlefield. According to the last census, Norwich holds the prestigious award of being the least religious city in the UK, whatever that means or however it's measured. I thought we had a huge number of churches in Norwich, but there you go. 
At present, we know that there are people outside of Norwich who are praying for the city. We know that there are people within the city who are praying for the city. And I believe that we should also, as a church, unite with all Christians in our city to pray for the spread of the gospel and the love of Jesus in our city. So let's be reminded as we enter this new season within our church that we should be praying together against the power of the evil one. But we can also pray and work practically to remove some of the stones and thorns that we read of in verses 16 and 18. Look at those stones and thorns. Look at the anxieties and worries that people may well have that take them away from God's promises and life. We think of people with financial concerns, those in debt, those who've got housing needs, those that have come from foreign lands to live and work in our area. And so as I think of this, I think of the work of Christians Against Poverty, CAP, the Salvation Army, English Plus here in our church, just to name a few. And if we can't help them in practical ways, then we can support them financially and we can support them prayerfully, joining in them in enabling the gospel to be proclaimed in our area. However, returning to the parable, we read that Jesus states there will be different responses to the gospel. So this shouldn't come to us as any surprise as we seek to witness to the love of Christ to the outside world. So that's the first challenge then. The challenge as we move forward with Richard as our rector is how are we going to spread the gospel in our area? But secondly, what about the personal challenge? Well, Jesus says in verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So a question for all of us this evening. We're entering this new season, but are we as individuals and as a congregation continuing to listen to God? Are we hearing, or do we think that we've only had to listen once when we first became disciples of Jesus? Well, Jesus refers to the soil and its conditions referring to our souls, hearts and minds. Our minds are really important, aren't they? Because what we think determines what we do. Wherever we are on that road of discipleship, and it is a road, it starts when we first come to know Jesus as our saviour and it goes on, it's always good to reflect, where am I on that road? Am I any closer to Jesus? Am I growing in likeness to Jesus? Am I seeing the face of God? Am I bearing fruit? What does my discipleship look like to Jesus? Have I given up all for him? What's my worship like? Am I bearing fruit? Jesus points us to some of the reasons why progress may be stilted or may be not happening as fast as we would like. Look at these things that Jesus mentions. Look at verse 17. Do we have roots that are deep within the soil? So let's carry out a spiritual MOT on our lives. Here are some of the questions we might like to consider, and I include myself in these. 
How much time do I give to studying God's word alone each day? Can I compare this to how much time I spend on other activities like watching TV or playing computer games to name just two? You all have your own activities. How much time do I set apart from others and meet God in prayer? Have I recently been reading books that help my spiritual growth? Have I gone to other places to hear men and women of God speak of God's working here on earth today? Is the soil of our hearts deeply enriched? Is our faith growing? Because remember, without faith, we cannot please God. Only we can answer these questions for ourselves. And look at verse 19, because this might be another disruption to the growth in our spiritual lives. What about worries and troubles? Worries and troubles can have a devastating effect upon our faith and trust in Jesus. Now, of course, we all have different levels of worry. If you ask my wife, Elizabeth, she would say, I'm a natural worrier. And it's not perhaps the best thing to be. But can I suggest that one of the great antidotes of all of these worries are the promises of God found in the Bible. God's promises given in the Bible are for the building up of our faith. So let's mark them, read them, pray these promises, store them in our minds or in other ways, learn them off by heart so that we can quote them when trouble comes. But note here, Jesus says in verse 17, when trouble comes because of the word, this means because of Jesus. Jesus, in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, Jesus is the word. So it's not worries and troubles that come because we can't get everything we want or we can't get that promotion. No, it's troubles that come because of our witness to the word, our discipleship and following Christ. And then other troubles that come to us, other things that might stop our growth. Look at verse 19. We read of the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for many things that take the place of Jesus in our hearts and minds. Jesus says these things can have the effect of choking the word and making it unfruitful. (coughs) And so what is blocking the word in our lives? I was reading an article in the EDP newspaper and it was titled, It's All Noise and It's Filling Our Minds Faster Than We Can Realise. And the author of the article was stating that we as a society are filling up our minds with electronic noise from telephones, computers, tablets, TVs and other gadgets faster than our brains can cope with. And he questioned how much useful, interesting, life-enhancing information is actually being absorbed by our brains. That wasn't a Christian message, of course, but I wondered how much is this blocking our spiritual life? Are we training ourselves to listen to the quiet voice of the Spirit of God? How much time do we spend listening to God's word? Are we setting time aside to be alone with God? 
Another hindrance to the production of fruit we see in verse 9 is the pursuit of the deceitfulness of wealth. Well, isn't this another sign of our age, the material age that we live in, that wants us to worship wealth and the belongings it brings? Buying goods, gaining wealth, drives our society. Look at the media and the newspapers. Who is honoured in the pages of our newspapers? Usually those that are wealthy in material goods. And so this puts pressure on us all. What must we spend to gain happiness and fulfilment in our society? Well, Jesus' message is the complete opposite. Jesus states that wealth deceives us. And so let's encourage one another and encourage our young people to seek the kingdom of God first, to seek to follow Jesus before seeking wealth. As one speaker said, what is it that we worship? Because we all worship something. If God is not at the centre of our worship, then something else will be, whether that be wealth and desire for wealth that deceives us and blocks our growth in faith. So these then are the things that this parable tells us may well block our growing in faith, our walk with Jesus and fruit production. But let's turn to the positives of this, the alternatives to these points raised by these voices. Look in verse 20, where Jesus states, Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. Little verse, really, isn't it? But see how this person that Jesus states hears the word of God, meets the word of God, and engages with the word. That is the person of Jesus and his words recorded in the Gospels. But hearing, of course, isn't a placid or neutral activity. He states that this person doesn't just hear the word, rather they actually do the word. That leads to action. So firstly, acceptance. That means we must fully take on board all that Jesus states, even if this is very demanding and opposite to our cultural norms. So then we take his teaching, we actually agree with it in our minds and wills, because what's in our minds will determine our actions. But it mustn't stay there. No, the product of his statements must be actions of some kind. And we see here that Jesus says, these actions will lead to a crop of righteousness. The figures given indicate that the amount of the crop will vary. So we shouldn't get bogged down by the amount because we're all given different spiritual gifts, different skills and opportunities. So we shouldn't compare ourselves with others. No, the important point is that there is some crop, some fruit. And we see this, this isn't a one-off teaching of Jesus in this parable. We see this in other places in the New Testament. In John 15, verse 16, we read, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And so we've got the promise that Jesus chooses people. He chooses us. He gives us his Holy Spirit to enable our hearts 
to be good ground. So there we have it. So there we have this parable. Well, returning to our situation as a church now, new season that's coming next week and for the months and years ahead, I ask the question, what are our hearts like? What do we expect? What do we want? And how will we respond to God's leading? Will our hearts be hard ground, stony ground, thorny ground? Or will they be good ground? Will we listen and will we hear God speaking to us? Will we be obedient to what he is calling us here in Norwich in 2017 to be for his kingdom? Let's pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to draw ever closer to Jesus in this new season and be working through our lives so that the crops and the fruit may be results. And that can be the basis of our prayers and our worship as we go on in the near future. Amen.